Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a tale as old as time. I saw Beauty and the Beast this weekend, so I just kind of had to get that out of my system, okay? But for real, it is a tale as old as time. And I'm not talking about a pretty young girl falling in love with an angry old man, okay? I'm talking about the story. A story that in every generation, in every culture, almost every community in history, this story gets told over and over and over again. And it is the story of the dangerous allure of wealth. The poison of greed. The chasm, the gap, if you will, between the rich and the poor, and what that does to us as people. From Midas and his golden touch to Ebenezer Scrooge and Dickens' Christmas Carol, it is a story that gets told over and over and over again. And despite the fact that it gets told over and over and over again, probably the reason it does is because It just never really sinks in, because it just keeps repeating itself in each and every generation. And so it's not all that surprising, then, that a story like this one shows up in the Gospels. That Jesus, too, tells a story about a rich man and a poor man, and the deep gap between them, and the pain and brokenness that results And those of us who've been paying any attention at all to this story, especially as it is told by the Gospel of Luke, who among the four Gospels is most concerned about the real effects of poverty and hunger and the distance and difference between the rich and the poor, it shouldn't surprise us. It should not come as news to us that this is a story Jesus is longing to tell. After all, from the very beginning, when Jesus was but a, a fetus swimming around in his mother's womb, Mary was moved by the Holy Spirit to sing a song. A song about God tearing the powerful down from their thrones and lifting up the lowly and humble of heart. About filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. When Jesus in the Gospel of Luke does the blessing stuff, you know, the the most famous one is from the Gospel of Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, etc. When Luke tells that story, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, not the poor in spirit, but really the poor, as in those who have no money. And woe to those who are rich. Blessed are those who hunger, and woe to those who are full, for they will be empty. So it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that Jesus tells this story. But it doesn't make it easy to hear. Indeed, when stories like this show up in the scriptures, it's weeks like this that I really wish I had an intern, because you can bet she'd be preaching this week. And that's not just because it's a hard story to hear. 
but because it's a story I need to hear. Because when I'm honest with myself, and Lent is kind of a time for honesty, well, when I think about the world in which I live, I'm the rich man, strangely dressed in fine purple linen this morning, who feasts sumptuously. (laughs) This is me. And I can find lots of people who have a lot more money than I do, don't worry. But I can find a whole lot more who have a whole lot less. This story is a hard one to hear. But we can't just throw it out. It's there for a reason. Now, there are plenty of ways in which we might want to soften its blow. You know, something like, well, yeah... The money was the rich man's problem, but, you know, there's lots of different things that Jesus can tell you. We don't always have to talk about money. And that's true. A lot of people got lots of problems. And it's not always mo' money, mo' problems, but, you know, people got stuff. And yet, especially in the Gospel of Luke, money keeps coming up. Because, again, if we are honest with ourselves... It is the allure of of wealth and the greed for all the things that money promises to provide that plagues so many of us. Now, we could also try and soften its blow by saying, you know what, the rich man just didn't really know Lazarus, didn't really know the, the full plight of him. You know, maybe he... It was wealthy enough that he could just send messengers out. He didn't, I mean, even though Lazarus is, you know, right there at his gate, maybe he didn't see him. And even if he went out, how many of you have had something right in front of you and you couldn't see it for whatever reason? Maybe if, if the rich man really would have known the plight of the poor Lazarus lying in his gate, he, he would have done something. Everybody does something. Except, there's one little detail in this story that kind of kicks you in the gut. And that is that when the rich man dies and is being tormented in the flames of Hades, which, by the way, is not really my favorite way to tell stories, just so you know, he looks up and he sees Lazarus, and they are not introduced to one another. And the rich man calls him, by name. He knows Lazarus. He knows him by name. And yet, he did nothing. For such a great chasm was fixed between them that even though he knew his plight, that he begged daily for crumbs to fall from the master's table, nothing. It's a hard story to hear. I'm a Lutheran. I don't know if you know that. Lutherans in particular struggle with stories like this. Because it's hard not to tell a story like this without getting the idea that where you end up 
when all is said and done, when death comes for the rich man and Lazarus alike, as death is wont to do, that where you end up going has everything to do with what you did or didn't do on this side. That's not very gracious, and Lutherans are really big on grace. So what are we to say about a story like this? A story we can't ignore. Because it is our story. Because he knew Lazarus. And folks, if we are honest, we do too. I grew up in the 80s. You couldn't watch Family Ties or Quantum Leap or Dallas without being interrupted by Suzanne Summers and those kids with the bloated bellies dying of famine in Ethiopia. Those kids are in South Sudan now. Those kids are in Somalia now. Those kids are all over the world, including in Waukesha now. And that is something you cannot unsee. Even if you spend your life trying really hard not to see, well, let me give you a little hint. If you're trying really hard not to see something, it's because you know it's there. We all know Lazarus. So what are we to do? Well, it seems to me that what Jesus longs for us to know is that while this is the world as we know it, God has something else in mind. God longs for this not to be the case. And that God is willing to do anything it takes to make that happen. For God is longing to flip it all upside down. To reverse all those fortunes. Until those gaps, those chasms are all crossed. Literally crossed. But for that to happen. And for us to know that promise. That good future that God has in mind we got to know first where we sit. And until we can know what plagues us, the weight of this story that keeps getting told generation after generation, until we can know where we are in that story, we can never unmask it, see it for what it is, and leave it behind. Because we are addicted, folks. We are addicted to wealth, to the power that it promises. We are addicted to money. This story, by the way, is told just a few verses before this. The audience is those who love money. And if that's not you, next week I'm just going to throw $100 bills out there and you're all going to walk out without touching one of them. Right? Addiction cannot be conquered unless we know that it's there. And unless it drives us to know full well our powerlessness, we are powerless over our addiction to wealth and power and popularity and prestige and all that that promises, we are powerless. Without God, 
to step in and bring us some promised hope. You see, this story ends with Abraham saying, these people aren't going to listen. Even if someone rises from the dead, they still won't listen. That's Abraham. Well, folk, we can't hear that without knowing full well that this is a story that ends with someone rising from the dead. But before that happens, he goes to the cross. And that, friends, is where powerlessness meets its end. You see, any time we come face to face with our powerlessness, it drives us to that story, to the cross, to the place where God owns our powerlessness, enters fully into it, and reveals in rising from the dead that there is another story. There is light at the end of this tunnel. This doesn't have to be the way things are. And let me let you in on a little secret. You see, I think Christians get in a little bit of trouble sometimes. Because we act as if the thing we're waiting for hasn't happened yet. I think this happens throughout Christian life, but I think it happens in particular in the seasons of Advent and Lent, where we're preparing for, you know, the days that everybody goes to church, Christmas and Easter. You know, the cool days, the fun times. And during that time, it's like, it's like we're practicing or getting ready or opening our eyes or preparing, right? We talk a lot about waiting and preparing and, you know, something really awesome is going to happen, right? The Easter Bunny. Something great's going to happen, so let's get ready so we don't miss it when it happens. And I think that happens in Advent and, and Lent in particular, but it happens throughout the Christian life. Throughout the walk of discipleship, it's like we're always waiting for something really cool to really happen, right? When we die or when Jesus comes back or whatever, Something's going to happen, and we just got to be ready for when it happens. Well, here's the thing. The thing we've been waiting for has already happened. Right? The God of heaven and earth has not born a baby in Bethlehem every year on December 25th. It happened once, 2,000 years ago, once and for all. The God of all creation did not hang on a cross for the sake and the life of the world and doesn't keep doing that every single year on Good Friday. That happened once. It has already occurred. The great revolution, the great turning upside down of all things, it has already begun. And we have been washed into that story in the waters of baptism. This story is literally written on our flesh and bone. It is who we are. We, the baptized, live with one foot firmly planted in the world that God has already begun to make. A world in which all those chasms have been literally crossed. In which the rich man and Lazarus know one another and have a chance to begin again. We live already in a world in which God, in this place, is making strangers become friends. Freeing us from our addiction to power and privilege to be given away for the life of others. And we live with one foot firmly planted in the world in which Lazarus and the rich man still don't know each other and are worlds apart. And the life of Christian discipleship is to bring those things together or more fully to bring this story to life. And it is that that we strain our ears to listen to 
and train our eyes to look for. As we gather around the font, as we gather for this meal, as we listen to the word, for there is one who has risen from the dead, who is longing for us to hear what that means. And what it means is that that story, that story has dethroned the power of all those other tales. All the other myths and fables of the danger and the power of wealth and the control it has over our lives, God has dethroned it and set us free to live fully for one another and for the life of the world. This is the story we wear on our skin and that we eat at this table. A story in which the rich man and Lazarus and every child of earth feasts sumptuously on the grace and goodness of God. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. Amen.